Hello and welcome to Nobody Meets Somebody, the podcast where two comedians who are currently nobody meet somebody who is famous. My name is Mary Picarazzi. And I'm Tanmi Arora. In today's episode, we got to talk with the awesome Paul Verzi. He is a New York stand-up comic who has a fantastic special out on Comedy Central called I'll Say This. His album just dropped December 8th, so make sure you go online and order that. Um, he's also the host of the Verzi Effect podcast that you should definitely check out. I watched the special last night and I was hooked. I am so excited to talk this, to this guy. Let's dive into it. All right, let's talk to Paul. Hey, Paul, how you doing? <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I'm getting <laughs> overly caffeinated, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, all right, so we got our handy dandy uh, Tambir courses up there in the darkness. It's that's not that hard. dark. Uh, I don't know. It looks I, a little light and evil here. You know, I'm just going to say I'm on the, I got the high road, so. Minute one and you had to be racist. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> Just get it out of the way early. Let's get it out of the way early. <laughs> All right. So we have our questions in our handy dandy, my kid's shiny red hat, because <laughs> that's and how high tech we are. And I got my Pyrex cup because I want Pyrex to sponsor this. <laughs> Every episode, we're hoping they're going to sponsor us. So let's get started here. The first question I have is, ooh, are comedy, comp comedy competitions worth it? Yeah. I mean, for me, they were. Um, I think a comedy competition at a younger age in comedy, when I say age, I don't mean literal age. I mean, your age in comedy. Yeah. I think where you are, um, in comedy matters with stuff like that. And I think when you're at the beginning, you just look at that as stage time. You know, I yeah. think, uh, when it's, I would say something like that is better than an open mic, uh, at least in New York, because open mics in New York weren't like open mics. Um, in a lot of places around the country, a lot of places around the country, it's a real open mic where it's like there's audience comes knowing they're going to see um, up and coming brand new comedians where in New York, you could literally go and there's like 14 comics with their notebooks in the crowd. <laughs> and you could almost be tainted by that. You know, uh, that's what I felt like. It's like, you know, how is anybody going to really give like give me advice or a reaction when they also suck? You know, we all suck here, right? We all suck because we're a month old. Now, the goal is to be the best of everybody that sucks. <laughs> the, best <laughs> sucker, <yeah. laughs> the, the best of the one month guys that are, um, are doing it. So if you get a bunch of comedians and he or she may have a really great joke and they're going up there and there's eight people that are just comics waiting to go and run theirs, you could kind of go home feeling like shit about that joke but that joke could be absolute monster. Um, so a competition, you kind of know there's going to be a crowd and you're, what do you have to lose anyway? You know, it's a, I, so that's how I started with doing competitions or, or places. Hey man, I'll throw you up on this thing. I knew there would be a crowd. I thought that that was always more important than, um, than an open mic in New York. Did you ever get those comics that they would win a local competition and they suddenly thought they were the big shit on the street type, type of, uh, Rebound you know, on it. it. You know, it's funny because I did a competition in the in a long time ago called uh, Hudson Valley's Funniest Man, and that's like kind of like upstate New York, an hour out of the city. And uh, a lot of people thought I should win, and I ended up coming in second. And I remember the radio station that ran it was like, 
The guys that went that come in second are, you know, they they get hungry because of it. And I don't know what happened to the guy that won it, but um, I I definitely you know felt that way. I think arrogance is something. Um, being arrogant and not humble in this um, will will catch you quickly in this. So especially when you start to, you know, you could talk shit at, at, at certain tables. Yeah. But that's when 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 you get to another level, um, reality hits for sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. true. That is true. <laughs> All right. On a lighter note, um, <laughs> what superpower would you wish for? <laughs> These are just so random questions. <laughs> um, a random ass question. Yeah. What superpower would I would I want? Um, I guess. I guess to fly, I mean, I know flying either, I would say either, I would say either flying, but also like super strength. So it's like, um, if I was tied up or kidnapped or like, you know, in one of those situations <laughs> where like no ropes could hold me or like, no, <laughs> like I watch a lot of crime shows. I this is showing <laughs> Yeah, this I is so it. evident right now because you have flying like the most common thing that you do probably nine times out of ten. But the one fucking time you're going to be tied up, you're like, oh, boom, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I watch so much crime and true crime. And when I see the person tied up and they're yeah. just cursing and angry because they can't get out. Like I would love to just not be able to just like <laughs> no, nothing could hold me down. So I think maybe that. <laughs> I yeah, really yeah. wanted to know though, yeah, the base, where did it come from? But you already answered that. So if you ever are probably acting in a crime show, you better the writers should know. Like they shouldn't write a scene <laughs> with you being tied down. No, that's yeah. not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Like how often are you gonna use how often are you gonna use that? Like <laughs> that's a good point. It's like I don't know how many times I'm gonna be tied to a chair. Right. Yeah, I don't know how many times. But like teleportation, you can save yourself a shit ton of time and, and travel. <laughs> that's that's no, but like flying doesn't mean teleporting. Now that's another thing. You're saying uh, that I could teleport. That's a that's a superpower. I mean, I mean, we can't do it now. So why is that not a superpower? I guess I guess that it, I guess tell yeah I guess teleporting would be would be a good one. Now that means can I teleport to any time or could it just well, be now? Oh, we've got complex. We weren't prepared got, for this. <laughs> Could oh, I shit. could I go could I go to like 1940 something or does it have to be like now like I could teleport to San Antonio when there's a snowstorm? <laughs> yeah. Well, let us keep it with now because we don't know how that time space continuum is going to be. Like you might just fuck everything up and Hitler wins or something. Okay, all right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, that's that's pretty interesting. So if there were is. if you were if you could teleport to a time, what time would you go to? Um, if I could teleport to a time, it would, it would be back in the past, not the future. And I would say, you know what? I would go back. I mean, you could go back to so many tragedies to prevent, but I think giving the video footage of nine 11 to the authorities on like, you know, nine 10 and <laughs> stopping that would be pretty fucking cool, especially yeah. considering it happened in New York and I'm a yeah. New Yorker and I could have been the one to prevent that. Like, you know, my shows better be sold the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'm a damn hero, bitches. Show up. That's a conflict yeah. of interest. His shows hey, are going to yeah, be showed out, but my shows. <laughs> yeah, Tambira gets. Yeah, he just, yeah, he gets the opposite yeah. of that would it would hurt your shows, I'm sure. Big time, big time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh um, man, uh, let's see. What's my question? Okay. Uh, what was it like when you found out that you were getting a Comedy Central special? Um, you know, that process was so um, long and drawn out when we were waiting for it because we um, were, I'm ready to shoot my next one, but we kind of, with the first one, we shot it and then we're selling it, right? So when you hear from places and who's going to pick it up and going into meetings and where it's going to go and contracts and all I could do was sit home and we just wait for a phone call. And the yeah. phone call was going to be that this one's taking it that, you know, cause the phone call, you know, listen, it was my first one. I had done an album. I never did a special. So the phone call is either. Yes, they want it or they don't. They're going to take it. What's the money? When's it going to air? Uh, how many times all these different things. And my power was literally just this. Hello. That's all I could do. <laughs> so, yeah. um, when we found out that we were going to comedy central, um, it was definitely, it felt good. And, and it was a relief as much as I wanted it to be celebratory, which it was, don't get me wrong. It, it meant a lot, but it was almost like, all right, good. Like now we, we, we know where we're going and it was, there was some relief to it, but it was, uh, it was definitely, I was super, super happy for sure. Did you have like the number programmed in the phone? So you knew what number was coming from, or could any number be it? Like the, like, you know, the, no, how would, would you feel about your at and No, it would be my manager. So, okay, so and, and, and I talked to my manager so many times a day during the day that I never knew uh, when I answered if it was going to be, you know, what we were going to, what it was going to be, you know? That's fair. That's fair. I just, I would probably be like every, every freaking phone call I got would be like, you know, how do you feel about AT&T? I'm like, damn it. I waited for a phone call. Hang <laughs> up. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's definitely when it's out there and the work is done. What was crazy about it was. The work was done and we knew what the special was and we knew what happened that night, especially, you know, the, the, the taping that I, I thought would, I envisioned to be the show, which it ultimately was. But I, I think that like when you know what you have and you work that hard on it, now it's like, all right, let's, you just want people to see, Absolutely. you know, because it, it changes your life. It changes your life the next day because it's like, oh, now comedy clubs want me there. And now people want you there because they could see it. And it was so many years. It was 15, 16 years of hard work, right. uh, almost 17 years to get it. And then you get it. And it's like, and now I'm, I'm ready to shoot the next one. So we are going to shoot the next one in uh, 2021. Oh, where at? Where at? Did you already pick a location? Well, I, I want, I was originally going to be Milwaukee because I love this place there. But now with COVID, um, it's it's not going to be New York. The first one was New York, so we might go to Boston. Um, okay. But so we're 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 thinking about it still as far as location. But we know one thing we do know is we, it will be shot. Um, hopefully, when this madness is over in the spring. Nice, awesome. Sweet. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. All right. What was your last non-comedy job? Um, my last non-comedy job was. So it was sales. It was a lot of sales. I, I sold phone, cable, internet, door to door in New York City, Manhattan and Queens. I was doing that. Then um, I helped my, my uh, 
my brother with recruiting. I did some recruiting. Um, I'm just trying to think if my last, last one. Yeah, it was sales. It was definitely sales. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I'll tell you what, man, knocking on somebody's door at dinner time and in New York city at seven o'clock saying, Hey, you know, you want, I got a new HBO package <laughs> and uh, you know, I got to tell you, it made getting on stage, not that bad. You know, I saw, <laughs> some, I saw some wild shit door to door, man. I'm not kidding. Like I saw some wild shit <laughs> and you just like, you don't realize like people's homes, dirty people's homes have wow. you know animals and shit i went to this one dude's house and uh this dude just had tanks of like reptiles and then i saw like a chicken run by wow. and i was like <laughs> i'm pretty sure this shit is not legal what this guy's doing you know he he had some kind of and there were some houses where i would see wild shit and i'd be like yeah phone cable internet and they'd be like no and i'd be like all right <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you didn't invite me in that in that shithole. So uh, like I want to see more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I saw some wild shit. So uh I would say sales because I was always kind of like I dropped out of college to do stand-up, but I needed money, obviously. So I would say, okay, I could go, I could make some money at a sales job. Um, you know, use my personality and and all the stuff with with making money there while doing sets at night. That's oh, cool. cool. So it was almost like you knock at a door to be like, hey, you want this HBO connection? No, you want to come to a comedy show tonight? Then? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. sometimes <laughs> I actually sometimes now that you said that when I would get a good rapport with people and I would sell them something or talk and they would be like, well, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'm also a comedian. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And, um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm sure that I have fans today that are, you know, have the same cable package I sold. Nice. <laughs> and, and hopefully it wasn't the chicken guy. Cause that would <laughs> yeah, exactly. be like, no, we're good. You don't need to know who I am. Um, so what was it like to ride for the SB awards? That was awesome, man. So the, what happened with the SB awards was there, um, it was Seth Myers was hosting and, I had found out that some of my friends, Bill Burr, uh, a couple of other comedians um, were working with uh, like Neil Brennan was working on it and, and Bill and a bunch of a bunch of people were working on these jokes. So I was talking with somebody might have been Burr or somebody. And I said a joke about one of the NFL coaches. And he goes, dude, that's hilarious. He goes, I'm going to submit that. And then it was like, you know what? You're going to want you right on this thing. So I started sending these jokes. And then I started finding out that like Seth liked a bunch of them. Nice. And then when it gets to like the last day, you find out like, you know, and I mean, I didn't, the nice thing was it was more fun. Cause like, I'm not a writer for TV shows. I'm more of a standup, but when that, the reason I was able to do it was because I knew Seth's cadence on SNL weekend update. Yeah. You know, um, so he would say something and then he would, he would like, so Seth Myers would do something like he would say, like, um, he would say something and then he'd go when asked why that happened. And that's how he would do it. Like uh -huh. when asked why boom. Yeah. So I always remembered that. And, um, I remember going into like the last day, someone was like, dude, three or four of your jokes are on the board still. And I was like, great. And then like day of, I found out that one joke made it. So he does this 13 minute monologue when he comes out and I'm, you know, that's in LA and I'm on my couch in New York, just watching and waiting. And then all of a sudden, I don't know in the 13 minutes when it's going to be. 
and I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, what if, it, what if they scratch it? Which would have sucked, <laughs> you know, like waiting all that, you know, and then like, Oh, you got it in. And then all of a sudden I'm watching. And I think he was like seven minutes into a 13 minute monologue. And I'm going, man, he, this might not, whatever it is, what it is. But I was younger at the time. So it would have been really cool. And then all of a sudden he went into a joke and I'm going, this is my joke. And nice. he did it. And I was just sitting there uh, with my wife. So it was, that, that was cool. And then, you know, awesome. it was a quick thing. I knew it wasn't going to be some huge thing, but to, to get that at where I was, was real dope. Right. Yeah, no, that's for, I'm a huge sports person. So for me, when I, when I was researching and looking up, I was like, Oh, that's like I'm added to the bucket list. Like that's cool. <laughs> like that's something you don't, you don't anticipate a stand up comic having that ability or having the opportunity to do it. So all those stars aligning was, was super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. That's cool. Yeah. We talked about a good thing. Let's talk about one bad thing now. Uh, the worst gig you ever had. Absolute worst. The worst, the absolute worst gig I had was um yeah, story. I told this story on Sirius XM. This was brutal, man. There was a there was a golf country club in New York. Uh, and what they would do is they would give an award out every year, and it was like the headless horseman award to and it was just a it was all men, no women. And they would go out and they would play golf on this like incredible golf course. And then they would come back into this. And I mean, when I tell you country club, like Bill Murray belonged there. And a lot of times he went to this gig. Luckily he wasn't there when I did it. <laughs> um, and all of them play golf. And then they go into this. I'm, I'm talking five star, like to be a member there, probably like 50 grand a year plus wow. fees and shit. Like wow. this is like, so these guys were all, all, you know, you want to talk about one percenters. You're talking like this shit was like millionaires. Yeah. If, if the, you know, so, um, buddy goes, Hey, it's a couple thousand after they come off the golf course, they shower, they get dressed. And then there's this dinner, there's like ice sculptures and there's literally like people <laughs> shaving people were like shaving fucking meat off of stuff. And then you go in the back and it was like a movie, all of these white chairs and a wow. stage and all these caterers working and stuff. And they go down, there's cigars and I bring an opener. I go, can I bring an opener to, for something like this? And they're like, yeah. So I bring my buddy, uh, Jason Lawhead. Uh, and he, <laughs> he got, I got him some money. I got some money. And, uh, the guy at first, it was funny. Cause they, they were like, you know, we watched your stuff. You seem like you're more of like a, you know, I think this was more like not roasty, but like, mm kind of like more of like a look at this asshole look like stuff like yeah. that but but then throwing in some jokes yeah. and i was just like i'm taking that money it's a gig and i've been doing it long enough like this was like i was kind of this, this is what hurts i was kind of established you know or or getting close to and uh my buddy goes on and he's fucking killing i mean okay killing and i'm waiting there and i got a check of a lot of money in my pocket and you know and i'm and he's going up there and he's killing and then and then he's about to leave and they're like no don't leave <laughs> and then they're going one more joke one more joke right and i'm waiting and he he gets off thunderous applause and i walk up there and i said something roasting my friend i go yeah you i said i said something along the lines of like if you knew what was in his checking account, like he wouldn't be allowed on the grounds or something, just quick, <laughs> you know, easy, right? And then I start going into shit. 
And I did tell him, I go, I'm going to do the race stuff. So if you have any, like, since I'm yeah. closing and I didn't care, but I'm going to do the race stuff. Right. And he did some race stuff. Right. So, um, I start going into it and I remember one of the guys saying to me, roast the guy who's winning the award a little bit, roast mm -hmm. the guy. So I say something along the lines of, and they tell me his wife's name and all shit. So I said something and this guy's a millionaire. I said something like this guy has got his hands on a lot. I was talking about his money and I go, this guy's got, this guy's got his hands on a lot of paper and plastic. And when I say plastic, I'm talking about his wife, Lindsay's tits. Right. And the whole place just goes, Whoa, no, no. <laughs> and I'm, so they already don't like me. And now I'm just going in. They're not really like, they, they just hate me. <laughs> then I started making fun of Chris Christie, okay, the, the politician. And I'm saying, if this guy, this guy can't balance his weight, how's he going to balance a budget? I'm doing all kinds of shit. And, and I, my buddy in the back who killed said somebody leaned over to him as I started making fun of Chris Christie. And they go, oh, my God. They go, we just threw him a $3,000 a plate fundraiser in South Carolina last week. I'm calling him a fat fuck. <laughs> I'm calling him a fat fuck. This guy can't balance a budget. This guy's going to balance a budget. Shut And dude, they hated oh, me shit. to the point where now I'm dying. Like now it's so bad. And it's like a movie. It's like a sea of rich people. There's like ice sculptures. They're, they're shrimp. These guys are in suits. I insulted his wife. To finally one point where one old man was like, all right, all right, man. All right. And I'm like, no, no. And dude, it was like that. And I remember I, I said, good night. I luckily I had the money on me. I walked out the door into the parking lot. I got into the car. I texted my buddy who was probably having drinks with these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, they're going to make him a new member and shit. Yeah, he's going to fuck. He's playing golf with the guy who won the award the next week. And I just go in the car. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we were driving. I'll never forget this. Uh, we're driving back to New York City and we make great money. And he just, I'm, I'm, I'm just like going through my head. Like what, you know, but what happened, man? I was one that's going to stick with me. And as we're driving, it's just quiet. And all of a sudden he just goes, you're a great comic, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, but that one, you know, that was one where like uh, you go through your head of like, what could have, and it's just, it's just one of those things, man. But, um, you know, it, it, it made me, you know, it made me hungry, you know, it made me hungry. It made me better. Even though I was at the time a little more established, it made me realize like, no, man, that's gonna, that could happen. So. Damn. You know? Well, there was a lot of shrimp there too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn. Wow. That was brutal. Like an old man gave me the light. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, the old man like kicked me off. Did he like stand up and like make a gesture oh, of it or? He didn't stand up, but it was just like, all right, like you're done, man. You know, you're done. Yeah. Damn. Oh, I feel like I got chills. Like I got, I got awkward just hearing that. <laughs> oh, dude. That, hey, man, you ask. Thanks for making. Yeah. Me, <laughs> thanks for making me relive it too. Yeah, you're it's welcome. holiday season. It's holiday season. We're all about giving. Okay. Uh oh. So for comedy writing, are you an electronic person? Like, do you use a laptop, phone, or are you a pencil and paper guy? Um. I would say it's, it's, well, I would say I'm a good mix of both. Um, like the iPhone, if I have an idea for a bit, 
I don't really write out bits. Like I don't write out all of it. So, you know, I'll put the, the premise down in the phone. And then if I think of a couple of punchlines in my head, I'll put that in the phone. Um, but then like before a set, I'll, I'll never write my set out on, on the phone. I will get a pen and paper and I'll write it out and I'll, I'll look at like, and make sure I definitely hit this joke, this joke, this joke. Like if there's four or five that I definitely want to make sure are in the set, or if there's like a handful of new ones and I want those in the set, I'll write those down. Has your style always been that way? Like from the beginning or has it evolved? Have, were you like write everything verbatim and have kind of eased up the, the longer you've been in it? That's actually a really great question. And I would say the answer to that question is, yeah, I think when, you know, you're younger at it and you're new, um, you probably want everything like verbatim, verbatim, everything. And then, then now it's like, if I'm like, um, all right, I think of this thing, you know, uh, me and my wife, you know, like I'm doing this joke me about plan B, right. Doing this joke about getting a, getting a plan B pill. So that'll happen. It's a couple things I thought about and I'll just jot the highlights down and then I'll just go on stage and do that uh, more so now. But but I'll get on the on the really, really big shows and on the shows that are like a tape, any show that's a taping or like a really big show, I'll still stick to what I do now, but I'll, I'll write it out. I'll make sure that mm -hmm. I, I hit anything like if, if normally I would say, oh, I, that's going to take me there anyway, I'll still write it down. Even though I know it's there, I'll still write it down. Just to be double sure you hit all those points. Just to, right. Like if there's one little nuance of the joke or like one little tag on the big ones, I'll just make sure. And listen, I'm, I'm going to hit it anyway, there. but it's almost like an OCD thing. It's not like a, a, oh, a lazy thing. It's not like I'm not taking the show seriously. It's yeah. just that I know that I'm going to do it, but on the ones that I'm like, I can't fuck this up, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I'm a, I'm very much a writing pen and paper, like everything's written in paper. Yeah. So, but I'm a verbatim person because it forces me to see like shit. That's like nuance. Like this is a lazy word. I need to do better. <laughs> you know, it makes it easier for my, my OCD brain to work. But Tanvir is very much electronic. So like if I have something electronic wise, I'll never remember it. Never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so I'm like I'm, that too I'm because if, if it's it, if it's if I took the time to write it on a on a piece of paper, it's probably in my pocket, and and then I I know it's there and I could look at it and put it back where, um, one thing that I do that um I'm the only and it's my OCD, so I don't discredit anybody that does this, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but. Never one time in my career because of my OCD have I looked at a note or my phone on stage ever, even in an open mic. And I started doing that young and it was a, a, a kind of something I said to myself and I probably stupid. It's probably something that it's like, like if you have an idea and there's eight people in here, but in my mind, I'm like, nah, just don't. And it's weird because all these years I've never done it. And I have a lot of good friends and great comedians. I'm sure that you guys know um, that I see put it on the fucking, you yeah. know, the stool uh, and they'll just go, hey, man, what else? What else do we got? What else am I going to? And they'll do that. And for me, it's like I, I, I just don't do that. 
That right. that's actually my biggest pet peeve. I'm not even. <laughs> I'm not even I, if I see that, I'm like, then it wasn't good enough for you to remember it. Like that's how my brain works. I'm like, okay, this wasn't good enough for you to remember. But people work it out differently. But my brain is just, I can't do that. Like to me, yeah, that's just it, awkward. It, it's no, I I agree. And and it's like again, man, George Carlin did it. So who the fuck? Yeah. I'm not trying to judge anybody. Right. I know people, but. I just, when I see somebody go, what else do I got? For me, it was just coming up with something I didn't want to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I just kind of stuck with that. But I also don't take tags. I won't yeah. take a tag from a friend. And uh, I, be, but it's my OCD. It's what I'll do to myself. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's really has nothing to do. You know, because them. you're sitting there talking yep. with a friend and yep. you know, you're writing a joke about being in an Uber or you write a joke about playing a board game with your family. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, right there, you should say this. And if that crushes, I, I will beat myself up because that's who I am and, and that's what I do. So I have friends go, Paul, I'm not even, I shouldn't tell you this. I'm gonna, I know you're never going to use it, but I won't <laughs> use it. I won't use it. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's actually ties up with my next question. What's the best advice you've ever received? And what's the worst advice you've ever received? And if you've taken it. The best advice that I've ever received in this game, in comedy, um, I guess the best advice that I ever got would be dig deeper as far as your honesty of, of who you are. So I remember one time I was sitting down and I said to a comic, a great comic, I said, man, I think I can do this. I think I can do that. I'm going to do this. I could do in this. I feel like I can be great. I feel this. Like I was just, you know, I was coming off of a show and we were eating and I said, and I, I, I didn't do it in an arrogant way. I did it in a, in a humble way, man. I think I could be. And they looked me in the eye and they said, you're never going to be great if you don't dig deep. And by digging deep, it's like, um, the fear of the fear of bombing is such a big thing because bombing in what we do is the ultimate, it's the ultimate failure of what we do. If we, if you bomb with what we do in our minds, because yeah. people don't look at it the right way, you got to look at it the right way. It's like, cause if you bomb, well, why did you bomb? Did you bomb because you were lazy and didn't prepare that you should feel bad about. But if you bombed because you took a chance on a risky joke that might not be PC or you took a chance on something that you believed in and you still think is funny and fuck that crowd, then that's, that's a, that's a growth and that's a really good thing. Right. So I think finding your voice is that being the funny you, right? Who would have said that Louis CK or somebody like when you're the funny you off stage yeah. and then you bring that funny you that's off stage. If you bring that on stage, cause he's like, that's just you. Yeah. You know, so it's like when it was just Paul on stage after it took me about 10 and a half years to get there, but it was just me talking. Listen, we're always going to be performing. We're always going to be an exaggerated yeah. version a little bit. You're in the moment. You're having a good time. You know me, I'm a stage stalker. I walk, I right. tell stories, I act out. That's just who I am. But I do that off stage when I'm talking to my friends because I'm an animated, you know, fucking Sicilian and Greek. I use everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm my whole body. So... So with me, it's like um, the best advice is to just like the truth. Like you could go up there and be like, oh, and then I took the fucking cat and I punched it in the face and knowing you didn't. Yeah. 
You didn't take the cat. You didn't punch the cat in the face. So what is, so I guess getting the truth and digging deep with the truth, even if it means standing there uncomfortably. um, And that's what I think the digging deep meant. As far as the worst advice, um, I don't know if it was the worst advice, but one thing that sticks with me is I remember there was like this arrogant headliner at one of these clubs and the host was nervous about his set or the host was just like, man, I'm thinking, I'm gonna... and I remember this guy who wasn't a big name just goes, tell me your lineup, man. What joke are you going to do? And he was like talking to the host and the host goes, I think I'm going to do this and this and this. And the headliner goes, don't do that one, man. Don't do that. Why would you? And like the kid, like, and I'm going like, you don't, it's first of all, who the fuck are you? <laughs> who the fuck are you? Yeah. To tell anybody that. And it's right. just, it was such like an arrogant thing to do. So I think the worst advice is really giving, giving advice. Like, like <laughs> you know, like let, this is not something that like, you're going to talk to some wizard, you know, and, and, and you all of a sudden, I think what it is, is I think you talk to people that have experienced everything and, uh, you just, you're going to have to go through some shit yourself in this game. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. And you have to be willing to go through all that. But I don't think that there's any advice that somebody can give other than, Hey man, get up as much as you can write as much as you can and just be honest and take chances. You know? Yeah. Yeah, That vulnerability is no joke. No joke. That's exactly right. That's exactly, that's exactly uh, that's probably the best way to look at it is like that vulnerability and that honesty um, they're like dogs, man. The crowd is like dogs. They see everything. The yeah. crowd sees real. The crowd sees fake. The crowd feels likable. They feel unlikable. So all of those things, man. So if you're just you and you just kind of come with what you bring, uh, that's the most important, I think. That's, that's fair. Yeah. And what's funny is that the, the guy that's telling that guy, like, oh, don't do that. Don't do the real, the real people. You have like the David tells. They're not going to be like, let me hear your set list. They don't give a fuck. Go do your shit. I'll do my shit. You do your shit. You know? Yeah. Cause it was a self-serving thing. It was a, exactly. it was bullshit. It was like for him to go, man, I'm going to tell you what to do. And that's his insecurity. That's right. him projecting yep. his shit, right. you know, on you. And you never tell a comic that like, so I'm, and I'm trying to think of like, any like bad advice, I, I you know, if, if comics kind of usually s- speak to them, like sit with themselves and, and kind of, you know, deal with it themselves. And I haven't heard anybody say something really ho- horrible, but that one was, you know, That's that was one. Well, you should yeah. be female, Paul. And then wait till you get the advice about show more tits, show less tits. Yeah. People <laughs> love to say that. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's brutal. But that's my own uh, projection right there. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> all right. Best backstage story that you could, that you're willing to share. Best backstage. All right. So this is a cool one. So uh, me, who was it? Me, Jason Lawhead, Bill Burr. Uh, who else was there? There was a bunch of us and we were uh, at the Tabernacle in Atlanta. Big theater, maybe 1,900-seat theater. And um, it was during the time that Anchorman 2 was filming. So Dave Keckner came out, Paul Rudd came out, and a bunch of them come out to the show. And they are hanging out in the green room with us, drinking some beers, having a good time. And uh, the show is about to start. 
And they all go, man, let's go. Let's go get seats. We want to watch the show. And this is a true story. This is fucking really actually awesome. I'm bringing, it's bringing me back. Nice. So the tabernacle, think of the stage like this. Here's the curtain, but it also goes like that. So the, the curtain, so there's like curtains on the side. So if I'm on stage right here and I look there, there's, there's like curtains with a slit yeah. on both yeah. sides. Both sides. Yeah. The crowd can't see it. Right. Okay. So the crowd is only seeing like this. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. crowd is only seeing what you two are seeing me now. Right. There's like wings, right? But over here, there's the the it goes around the the thing is almost like a like a um I guess you could say that the, it was almost like a horseshoe. Mm -hmm. Okay. The curtain is like a horseshoe, but there's slits right along the whole thing. Okay. okay. So I'm on stage and I'm I'm doing the <laughs> I'm doing my jokes, and all of us and mind you. Um, they had like their mustaches and stuff from Anchorman, right? Oh, okay, yeah. And Paul Rudd decides during my whole set that he's going to just have his head to my right. He's just going to have his head. Out. <laughs> I actually saw him after and, and we talked about this. He had his head. So the curtain and just his head. <laughs> and I see the Brian, the Brian <laughs> Fantana mustache and the thing. And I'm doing, and I mean, it's, it's, he's, it's not 10 feet for, it's right there. So it's just, it's literally me on stage with Paul Rudd's head during my set. There's 2000 people there. Every time I would say a joke that he laughed at and liked, he would start laughing. He didn't want to screw me up. So he would disappear. The head would disappear. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would come back and he would come back. <laughs> so I was on stage and, um, I'm doing the jokes and the set starts to go well and I build momentum. And my closer was about how I kind of lost touch with intimacy with women because I'm married with two kids and I have a daughter and I'm, all this stuff. And I talk about, you know, all the things I have to do for my baby girl with, you know, her diapers and just life. And I said, if I wouldn't know what to do with a woman now. And I said something along the was the joke. I said, if a woman opened her legs in front of me right now, I'd grab a baby wipe and go front to back. <laughs> and he's got daughters and he fucking laughed. So, and his head just disappeared and I got off stage and he's laughing and he's like, that was so awesome. And then they walked on stage and they were like, you know, these guys are so funny. Give it up for these guys. And then we got one more. And then they brought up bill as their characters and uh, and then afterwards, we hung with them for a little bit. We had some uh, we had some drinks and everything like that. And uh, that was one that I will. Uh, that was. I mean, there's been a couple of really cool ones, but that was a, a very unique one for me. Right. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I love that joke, by the way. That's one of my first. That was the first joke I got introduced to you, Fi. Really? Yeah. I, I just had my daughter, and someone sent me that clip, and I was like. Oh my God, this is hilarious. And I'm like, my told my husband, like, you gotta hear this. And he's like, oh. I'm half asleep right now. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's funny. That is awesome. That would have thrown me off though, someone being on stage and just the head. That's why he's a yeah. professional. Yeah, I know, player. right? Yeah, yeah. It was so funny though. And I was just like, this fucking guy is just it was really cool. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Um, next question. Oh, this is a fun one. Uh Three things he would bring to a deserted island if you were just allowed three things. <sighs> Shit. <laughs> that includes 
That ain't coming. You guys are throwing me for a fucking superpowers. Remember that. You're on the island. You're super strong. But that, that includes yeah, exactly. That includes <laughs> water. Like I, I, like you have the shit to survive. This yeah. is just three things that you would okay. comfort you. Okay, so I'm gonna survive. I have the things to survive. Okay. Um, my God, three, huh? Assume your family's there. All that. Well, we got it. Your kids are gonna be with your wife's there. We got it. Okay, so we could eat. I'm eating and I'm sleeping with shelter. Yeah, you're good. Um, I the three <laughs> things that I would bring with me. I would, I would, my phone. I would have to say my phone. Okay. A lot of places to charge a phone. Yeah. My iPhone, you know, definitely. I, you know, I try to upgrade better service, but yeah, I have my <laughs> iPhone. Um, I would have. I know this sounds weird, but if my son is there, my kids are there. I would have some sort of ball to throw, like either like a football or like a catcher, like a, like a baseball glove and a for like a pastime. Yeah, you know, like to do something kind of like that. I would have to say if I'm on a deserted island, maybe like a fishing pole, right? I would that's, need a fish. That's fair. Right. Yeah. So I would, yeah. So it would either, no, here's what it would be. It would be a fishing pole. It would be a deck of cards. Okay. It would be a fishing pole. It would be a deck of cards and the third and my phone. Okay. Because that's I hear yeah. So, yeah. So your son would grow up and be the best poker player ever in the world. <laughs> like he would be, yeah, he would, yeah. Like he would be uh, the best fisherman slash poker player of all time. And then somebody would say to him, like, what did you fucking grow up on a deserted island? Like, yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, like between, between, yeah, between your daughter and your son, one of them is going to become the best flipping player ever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was a long, long con on that one. You're waiting for that long game on that one. <laughs> I like you still were a proper parent, right? You won't give your phone to your kids. They'll either either do the cards or the fishing, but not your phone. They won't touch the phone. You yeah, won't I mean, share your phone. Yeah. Yeah, like I would look at it like I think because the cards lets the entire family have something to do at night. Okay. You yeah. could play games and all that stuff. Fishing during the day, we could get food with that. And sure. you get and you get a skill. You learn something, and then the phone. You could try to communicate. Watch whatever you can. You're watching Netflix on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could play cards on there, but that's not as fun. You know? <laughs> Everybody crowd around the phone. Let's play solitaire together. <laughs> yeah, I could get. And here's the thing: if I have the phone, I could get like amazing fish recipes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> if I want to know your mahi mahi recipe, let's go. I'd be like, no, dude, you're getting that fucking coconut. Watch what you watch. What I do with this coconut, I'm gonna It'll blow your mind. Up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Wait, wait till you see how this fucking cod tastes with coconut shoved up its ass. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh man. Uh, ooh, this is a good question. Worst heckler experience. No, the worst one I had was in Indianapolis. Um, I got a, a bottle thrown at my head on the, sta- at the stage. Yeah. Wow. Indianapolis? That's like the cleanest city in the world. I was on stage, and that night I gave somebody a guest spot. There, You know, Miss Pat came through, and Miss Pat was doing her three minutes for last comic standing, so they asked me that. And then you had, so you had the host, guest spot, Miss Pat doing her three minutes, feature, and me. Oh shit! And there's a drunk guy for the host. 
and he's drunk. And he goes, yeah, there he's young. And like, I'm going, and I said to these fucking owners, I go, dude, this guy is going to, I'm going to have a problem. There's going to be a problem. And, um, he's like, I know, man, but look how much he's buying booze. Like what kind of shitty thing is that to say? And, uh, and long story short, I get on and I'm like four minutes in. And there was a big storm that day in Indianapolis where the sky was like purple, hailing golf balls. So I was talking about that. And he said something. And we just go at it. And I'm going, buddy, man, what the fuck? And he was like, no, no, I'm late. And he was just trying to. And I go, you know something? And it was brutal. And he was doing, I go, you know something? I go, you're a cancer and you need to be cut out early. And I go, you're gone. You're fucking gone, dude. You got to go. And I look, and his peep, his friends were upset. Like, not at me, like at the whole thing. I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. And he starts getting up, and I see him put his jacket on, and he grabs, and he's in the front row. He's 10 feet from me, not even. Right. And he grabs a Miller Lite bottle, glass. And I'm in my mind, I'm going, I see him like winding up like a pitcher. And I'm going, like, Is this guy going to fucking? And he just fucking darts this thing. And I remember it was like Matrix shit. I flew to the left, and the heel, the heel of the bottle, like dents the wall and knocks one of the letters from the club down wow. and everybody is fucking like, I mean, gasp for like, it was just really nuts. And I hear him on his way. I fucking call me a catch and fuck blah blah. And they tried to actually get him arrested for assault. Cause that's what that was. Right. Yeah. And his sister was like, we got to go. So they got in the car, they sped off. And I told the crowd, I go, guys, guys, relax. I've been doing this for a while. I tried to actually do my album there, but the sound wasn't good. So I ended up doing it the following. Uh, that was Halloween weekend. That was Halloween weekend of uh, 14? 14. That was Halloween weekend of 2014. Damn. Snowing. And uh, I ended up doing the album. Uh, I, you know, I thought I had it on the Saturday night. I ended up doing the album in uh, April um, in New York City at the stand. But... Uh, yeah, he left and I told the crowd, calm down. And then I did an hour and four minutes after that. And the, the oddest thing about this story, and this is true, is the bottle, which should have shattered with how hard he threw it, the heel of it, like it was like the hardest part of the glass kind of went in the wall in a very funny way, which dented the wall and made a letter come, but it didn't break. Wow. And, a, <laughs> and an audience member at the end goes, dude, do you mind signing that bottle for me? Uh, so I got a marker and I signed the label of the fucking thing and I gave it to him and that guy still has that bottle. Nice. Shut up. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, that is hilarious. I'm hoping that guy watches this podcast and then comments on it. I want to find that guy. <laughs> he might. He might. All right. Um, do you think the comedy industry is too PC for good comics who just want to talk about anything and everything? Like you talked about being honest, right? And sometimes that can be PC. So how does that work? How do you, what do you feel? Um, you mean when you say you talk about honest and that can be PC, you mean being honest can be not PC? Yeah. I mean, uh, is the comedy industry wanting too much PC? No, I got it. I yeah. think that, I think that, um, I think that it's up to the comedian mm -hmm. to, you know, cause I'm, I'm dealing with this now. And, and, you know, I was, I was just on the other day yeah. with uh, Jim and Sam, you know, I was on Jim and Sam on Sirius the other day. And I said, you know, as much as people say that there is freedom of speech, um, it, 
it is, but it isn't. Because if I could lose my job, am I free? If I could, if I could say some shit right now on your podcast, right? What did you say at the beginning of this podcast? The beginning of this podcast, you said, Paul, do we have the rights to this? Do we have, uh, this is our podcast. We can, we can post what you're putting out there. Is that okay with you? And I said, yes. So then you guys cut a clip of me talking about, let's just say I'm talking about, you know, a joke about uh, firearms, guns, or I say something, you know, political that's not picking a side politically, but just kind of something that can be construed as, all, you know, misconstrued as that. And somebody, and now somebody looks at that and goes, well, I don't want to book Paul Verzi anymore because I saw him on his podcast and he says something about firearms. And, you know, there was a shooting last week and we just, even though he's not a bad guy and he's not shooting anybody, the way he's talking about guns, let's just not book him. That doesn't really necessarily mean that I'm free. But what I have to do as the performer is if I believe in what I'm saying, and that, that's kind of like where I'm at now, th those are the guidelines. It's like, if I believe in what I'm saying right. and I stick with what I'm saying and I can defend it and it's true and your feelings are hurt, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Because you know, <laughs> what I'm saying is honest and what I'm saying is true. Now, if I go up there and I'm going, I think people should really start killing babies for real. Like, and somebody's like, whoa. And it's like not a joke. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, yeah. I want fucking people need to start <laughs> killing babies out here. And, and you're like, wait a minute. Then if that goes out there and someone's like, yo, I think somebody needs to talk to Paul. <laughs> like, it's all this shit, yeah. Yeah, like, yo, I think something happened to Paul. Like, that's that's definitely, you know, he, you know, did he go to the playground and something happened to his kids? <laughs> this podcast broke him. I don't know what happened. So yeah. So, like, so to answer the question, if I think rest his soul, I think Patrice O'Neill was one to say, somebody said, believe what make sure you believe what you say. Like, like right. Don't do the shock value shit. Don't yeah. say something for a reaction. But look, if I feel something, like, for example, I don't know if you guys saw I'll Say This, but when I did I'll Say This, I closed with a mass shooting joke, mm -hmm. okay? And the joke was, the mass shooting joke was, like, one of the one of the shootings was, like, there were, like, 21 people were killed. That's the most in U.S. history. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, these guys have machine guns, and, like, there's a lot more people than that. Like, if it was me, like, I know it's bad, but I'd have better numbers than that. Now, of course, I'm not for mass shooting. Of course, I think that that's an atrocious act. I'm some fucking, you know, OCD, screwed up thoughts, comedian. That's what we do. And I think in a way, right, we subconsciously try to make things that are tragic have a little bit of light, however that may be. And maybe that's even a defense mechanism. But to to look at that and and luckily nobody did so i have to give credit because that was the one that we were kind of worried about right. and but you did preface it you had to preface it and say obviously i'm not i mean so you had to actually like say hey i'm not trying to shoot people the fact that you had to mention that in the joke though it kind of gives a state of where comedy is where you even had to be that transparent about it well, right. But the reason what I did, if you noticed, is I did do that. But then at the end, I said, if you're the people, you belong in the theater. <laughs> so I had to double because because of the PC shit and having to yeah. be transparent. I had yeah. to double down on it. Um, but but, you know, I, that's why when I did close on it like that and, and we did not get the, it's the funniest thing is the biggest backlash of my special because it was like 98 percent positive was people, you know, which the craziest thing was 
people were like, uh, you know, the, with the political stuff that, you know, like, yeah, well, his, you know, his uh, yeah. democratic agenda, which is not true at all because I'm a, I'm a registered independent and I, I totally think both sides are fucked up and everything. <laughs> um, so when people just saw me making fun of the president, cause he tweeted at the time and this is, you know, this is, you know, years ago. So like the tweets were fresh and all this stuff. I mean, it's hilarious that it's still relevant now, but <laughs> that, that is, that was what I was talking about. And it was funny that that was more of the backlash, but Anyway, to answer your question, I would say that you just got to be like, you got to believe in what you're saying and be able, if somebody comes up to you afterwards, be like, no, 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 you're, this is why I said that and I stand by it. And, and that's, you know, but I don't think you can apologize and I don't think you can back down from a joke, you know, and in this new hour that I'm doing, I have a couple of fucking doozies and, and I have some where I don't preface anything and I'm just going to say what I feel. And a joke is a joke. And I think that that's up to the performer. Nice. Nice. That's great. Sorry. I didn't mean to be long winded on that. No, that's, no, good. That, that's the thing. I mean, you have, you know, you have comics like Chappelle saying that stand up is the last true form of freedom of speech. And it's like, we're starting to lose that ground. And when we lose that ground, you don't get it back. So that that's, that's that's a hundred percent true. And I really, I'm not trying to get over dramatic about it. The freedom of speech is being attacked. The freedom of, and I never thought that I would get like old enough. Like I would hear parents say that shit and I'd be like, Whoa, man, that's some old people shit. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm going like, wow, things have changed. Things in the country have changed because, um, to lose your job over, over words, I think it's wrong. If you lose your job over words, like I said, again, the killing the babies thing, of course, you know, obviously a company can't have somebody around that says something crazy, but to lose your job over words in another um, profession is bad, but in comedy, in, in a joke, like that's like to, to, to have somebody picketing or have somebody, you know, protesting outside of a comedy club saying, how can you have this person here? And that person loses money because of a joke. That's when it, it I, I agree with you a hundred percent, Mayor. That's, that's when um, you don't get it back. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Actually, this is, uh, this is our last question that we ask every uh, excellent guest that we have. Uh, so we definitely appreciate you giving us time in the middle of a snowstorm. No worries. Um, <laughs> um, so when someone Googles your name, what do you want your autocomplete to be? Paul Verzi, what? Um, when, when they put my name in Google, what, what do they want? What do I want to see yeah, pop up? They say, Paul Verzi, what's the next words you want to pop up? Um, I guess, you know, uh, great standout comedian, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I, I just want, you know, I, I would just, I guess I just want people to, when people look at that and read that. And then ultimately, if you do read that, you'll go to my body of work. And I just want my body of work to be something that has just always been um, improving and evolving. You know, when I did Night at the Stand in 2015, um, and it was number one on iTunes, and we were proud of it, and then it made Billboard, and I was like, wow. And I had some really amazing peers go, that was really funny, man, on, like, on, on all standards. And I was like, wow. And then to have, I'll say this, get 10 you know, over 10 million views online and have multiple bits go viral and have comedy clubs open their doors for me. Great. And now it's like, well, now this next one, I think I'm more evolved and I think I'm more honest. And I think I'm more just, you know, you, you walk off, 
I walk off stage and you leave the club knowing me a little bit and, and either agreeing with me or not, but knowing what I do. So I just want to be known as somebody that, that, um, you know, that did it right. And that, that always was real, you know, somebody that was real and somebody that was like somebody that, you know, that if you talk to me afterwards, I didn't do some shtick. I didn't do some, you know, yes, I might be goofy and yes, I may, you know, go into certain things. Uh, you know, I, I loved, I always loved like George Carlin type shit where George would tell a crazy story, but then he would do like a goofy dance or then he would do something, but you kind of knew his personality. You kind of knew that even though he was this like, you know, dude that can be very kind of either dark or tell a story or be like in your face, he also had that kind of thing. And I think that that's what made it real. And, and I, I, I would like, you know, I would like that. So, I mean, I don't know if Google does that because Google could say some shit like, Hey, comedian. And then I don't know what else it could say, but, um, yeah, I just want algorithms, right? So what people yeah. type in, they're typing in Paul Verzi, you know, school shooter. That's a different, you know, <laughs> yeah. If it's, if it's Paul Verzi, you know, like stand up, you know, stand up comedian. And then there's positive things said, I guess that's really, all you could ask because I wouldn't want it to be like Paul Verzi fucking, you know, like gets bottle thrown at, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) what's funny is when I did that in Indianapolis, people are like, Oh, and I had the footage of, of it. And people are like, you got to put that on YouTube. And I'm like, no. And like, why would I do that? Because it's like, and I see comics do that. And and a lot of these comics, and I'm not going to mention names, but like, Oh, comic destroys heckler. That's Mm -hmm. cool. Once. That shit's cool once, but then it's like, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you, so you, are you trying to be the dude that either gets bottles thrown at him or are you yeah. trying to be, um, the, the comic that like somebody's going to yell something out because that that's going to, you're going to put that on YouTube. It's like, I don't want to be that guy either. I just want to be someone's like, yo, great show. Right. So that's my, that's my answer to you. It would be Paul Verzi. Great show. You know, um, I remember I was, uh, I did Gotham comedy club amazing weekend my city fucking line out the door couple shows sold out people are online to to meet me and talk to me shake my hand and take a picture obviously pre-covid relax and um <laughs> you know say, say what the fuck you mean meet uh, <laughs> right now this is part of the problem fucking super spreader no um so, and, and one dude was just came up to me and he just shook my hand and I know what Gotham is and what Gotham is bringing, who, who performs there, who gets a whole weekend there. And he just shook my hand he goes, that's one of the best live shows I've seen in years, man. And like the way he said it, he meant it. And what even felt better was I put everything into that show and I put my everything into it. And like he, he recognized it and he got that from what I did. And that's all that you could ask for as a comic. Absolutely. People don't realize putting that shit on the internet, that's attract that energy attracts the same fucking energy. Like it, it, it makes a difference what you put out there into the world and what you speak into existence makes a difference. It, it's a thousand percent right. And I think that a lot of people, I talked on the Verzi effect, my podcast this week about people do things for the wrong reasons. You know, having people say to me, um, say to me things like, um, Yo, man, comedy's dead. What do you think about that? What do you think about comedy being dead, man? Stand-up's over. So I think people just need to focus on the podcast. And I'm going, let me ask you a question. You think I dropped out of college to be a fucking radio host? 
<laughs> because because I'll tell you this, I wouldn't have dropped out of college. I would have got my fucking communications degree and I would have been on radio or I would have been doing sports and whatever the shit that I wanted to talk on radio, whether it be sports or whatever, I would do that. I do stand up because I love it. So right. if you want to do some shit because that's what's hot now and because you want to be rich or famous, great. I want to get rich and famous as a byproduct of the shit that I love, which is this shit. I got into this shit because of Murphy and, and Pryor and Carlin and, and those guys. And if comedy has a low time, okay. Yeah. Okay. If co comedy had a boom and I was part of that, you know, I was in comedy during a boom and I'll be in comedy during a fucking pandemic, but I'm not just going to fucking be like, oh, comedy's dead now. So let me go. You know, it's like, does an engineer or an architect be like, fuck, man, should I be a dentist? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but these are the times that weed out those those half-hearted people, the opportunists that are just, yeah. I'm just there to make a quick dollar. It's like, okay, bye, bitch, you're gone. You know, pandemic came, all those people are out now. Yeah, and it's almost like, okay, fine. You want to be a YouTuber and make millions of dollars. That's great, but that's yeah. just not what I want to do. So it's like, I like the art for, I have, I'm not going to hate on somebody that goes on YouTube and, and gets 2 million followers and is getting monster checks. And they're a famous YouTuber who lives in a mansion. God bless you. If that's what you want to do. Uh, but I, I don't, I just love making people laugh and getting better at something that I, that I dedicated my life to, you know, that, that is, it's, it's hard, you know, it's like, you got to look at what you had. You got to look at, I always say, you got to look at where you were where you are now and where you're going. Look at where you were five years ago and now where you are today and then think about where you're going to be the next five. And if I could have done this, I could have done this, I could have done specials and I could have made you know these things happen, then what else can I do? So I'm not going to just be like, oh, comedy's in a bad spot. People are making money. I'm still doing a fucking podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is... Absolutely. I can't, I can't possibly end the show on a higher note than that. That is absolutely true. It's like you're just preaching now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't fucking turn this into a, I just got genuinely upset thinking about it. No, these are conversations Tavir and I have because, I mean, every scene has their same set of people. You have your hustlers. You have the people that work hard, people that work hard but never get anywhere because they don't know how to apply it correctly. Yeah. And then you have your opportunists. They're always fucking waiting for someone just to fall so they can just jump on them, you know, and that's that's the energy you just need to weed out of, a, of the community to begin with because they're just they're just toxic. And especially if it's in your circle, you know, listen, it's totally normal to feel envy when somebody gets something that you want. You know, I've had peers get some shit and I've been like, man, like, you know, I want to get that. How do I get that? You know, and I feel like I'm funny enough to get that. That's a normal feeling. That's a normal yeah. feeling to set that goal for yourself. But when it becomes like that opportunity, you know, like I'm just going to go and do this because that's it. Like there's a lot of people that like think just getting on a podcast. I'm just going to, I want to let me just get on Joe Rogan's podcast or let, let me yeah. get on Logan Paul's podcast. Cause those are the biggest podcasts. And if I get on that podcast, then my followers will go up and it's like, what did you do to get on that podcast? And yeah. what are you going to talk about, about that's what you did? So you're just going to sit there and be like, oh, I'm here. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Let's, come on, followers. Come on. Let's, yeah. 
It's like, no, it's like you get on that podcast because you did some shit, you achieved something, you put something out there and you created your own thing. And then, and then that, and then all of a sudden it rolls, not just to go and try to try to do that. So, and I've learned that, and this is all part of the, I, I, this is all part of, uh, you know, growing, you know, but you guys obviously seem like you have a great grip on what's going on because you um, understand oh, that. Thank anyway. you so much. Uh, this has been a phenomenal opportunity for us. We've Tandra and I have been looking forward to this uh, since we've asked you. So we were uh, actually super excited about this. I kind of get to nerd and geek out a little bit. So I'm very <laughs> happy. No, no um, worries. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. And for your listeners, if they want to check out the special, if they want to check out, um, they could check out the special right now, which is now an album, 800 pound gorilla. They could get it wherever you get albums, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon music, um, the special is streaming on, um, on comedy central and what else? My podcast, the Verzi effect, my Patreon right. gun to our heads, which I just did an episode today with Sal Vacano from right. impractical jokers. The first four episodes was, uh, was it Bobby Kelly, Chrissy D Krista Stefano, uh, Mike Cannon, big J Okerson. And today Sal, uh, Vacano. So you could check that out for a $5 subscription. Just all my stuff, man. Get me on Instagram, Twitter. I appreciate it. Yeah, check out the websites. You'll see where you're performing when everything gets back to normal. Um, obviously, your Instagram's up there. Uh, thank you once again, Paul. Appreciate it. Uh, we hope you have a kick-ass show down here in San Antonio this weekend, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, man. All love, guys. Later. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that was one of those episodes where we talked about comedy, comedy a lot in depth. Absolutely. It's true. almost like comedy 101. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like we got schooled in such a positive way. We learned so much more out of this. Totally, totally. I, I really had a great time talking to him, learned so much, and I'm, I'm glad uh, uh, we will get to see him soon in San Antonio. Yeah. Yes, super grateful. Um, you guys definitely check out his podcast, check out the album. All right. Like always, if you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. And if you really, really liked it, please send it to your friends, family, and enemies. As always, I'm Mary Picarazzi. I'm Tanvir Arora. See you next time. <laughs>